fellowship or our church family, and I know every church is different, it does feel like a little bit of more normalcy to be able to return to retu- bringing our offering and coming forward and then taking a few minutes of meeting and greeting and just getting to know one another. Those two or three, four or five minutes there um, in between worship and preaching really can add a lot to the health of our church family. It's easy to hide in church. Elijah went to a cave where the presence of God had been, and he found a place to hide. Went to a mountain where the presence of God had been, and he he found a place to hide. And you can hide in the presence of God if you're not careful. And we want to uh, we want to connect you to others of like precious faith. And I really feel honored to be able to preach as a pastor. You know, I, I have the privileged opportunity to preach every week. I, I tell the other pastors often that. It allows you to clean up behind yourself sometimes, you know, because you, you say something that, you, you know, maybe, okay, gosh, I wish I hadn't said it that way, or maybe I didn't clarify, but because I get the opportunity to come and minister each and every week, I can kind of keep things swept and in order in that sense. But, you know, following Pastor Andre and the three services uh, that we were able to have, and especially that final Monday night service that is on the... I think it's online under footsteps. Is that right? Or on the podcast? Podcast, I believe. On did I say podcast? That'll fill this place up, won't it? Yeah, yeah. Podcast. Let me make sure I clarify that. P O D. Let's clarify that. Yeah, I'll clean that one up next week. Yeah. Now that one I got cleaned up today. You can't wait. You can't wait. Can't let that one go through. Um, but that was such a powerful word. If you didn't get a chance to be here with us that that Monday night. And uh, I, I personally had already began to set my heart as we hasten towards Easter to, in my personal devotions, to really begin to focus my attention on Jesus the way it should be and uh, to see him in his word, to trail uh, throughout the narrative and, and just, you know, just kind of maybe have a fresh visitation of his presence. And that Monday night, there was just such a word that, that was spoken of, and it was through the, through the lens of Mary Magdalene. The message was simply, you know, last at the cross, first at the tomb. It's kind of what it was about. But the, when someone asked me later, because, you know, I really had a personal moment with the Lord that night, um, I told him, I said, it wasn't that I was seeing Mary, just to be honest. It wasn't that I was seeing Mary, but it was, I was seeing through the lens of Mary. I was seeing who was hanging on that tree suspended there for my sin. How I many you know that's the, that's the heart of the gospel? Is when you realize that God didn't just send him to die on the tree for the sins of the world, but for your sins. And that you were deserving of death. And when you realize that he became the sacrificial lamb in your stead, I'm telling you, then you're confronted by the presence of God. And that's what that moment was for me. And I pray that there's a carry, uh, you know, a carryover of his presence as I minister the word. I've been praying for you to receive this word. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Luke's gospel, chapter number 9. We're going to read about nine verses of scripture. If you found it, it's on the screen. If you find it in your Bible and it's on the screen, if not, stand with me, please, and let's honor the Lord as we read our opening text today. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, He took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. 
not glistening, glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, or Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. When they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias or Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Verse 36, And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. And so for a title, and not necessarily that titles are necessarily that important to us, but sometimes they kind of capture the, the, the direction we're going to go with this text of Scripture. Entitled this message, A Divine Encounter, and I sent that off to our media team this morning after I had put the finishing touches on my sermon preparation. But the more I thought of it, it was more than just a divine encounter. It was a divine revelation. And I want you to have both. That's, that's in my heart today. I want you as your pastor, my intent is for you to have a divine encounter that includes a divine revelation. And I, if you'll just bear with me, and if you'll let us walk this text together and work this out in our hearts, I believe God will speak to you today. How many believe that today? Believe that? Father, I love you, and I feel humbled to be here today among such a precious church family who are zealous for your word. They wouldn't be here, God, on a beautiful spring day if they weren't zealous for the presence of God. They could have found any other place to have gone, God, but they chose to come to this house because there's something inside of them. There's a yearning. Like the salmon who swims back upstream to the spawning grounds, God, they're compelled to come here. They got up this morning, they shook off fatigue, and they said, I've just got to go. There's something. It's like I've got to navigate through or traverse through these waters to get back to that familiar place of the presence of God. We're here today, God, to... Have a divine encounter, but also to the Lord to ask you to give us a divine revelation. Would you do that for us today? God, would you do that for each of us, Lord? I ask it in simple faith. It's in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. Two weeks ago when I preached about the presence of God, I told you that, especially to those that are new to the style of preaching that I have, which it's kind of hillbillyish, and that means occasionally I make up words as I preach. But since I preach from the King James Version of the Bible, most of you don't necessarily know whether I made it up or whether it's just archaic. So, but nonetheless, in that process, I said I try to be a big picture. I really try to broaden the picture. I want you to know the context, and then we narrow from there. And it doesn't take, it takes it's shorter to broaden, and then it takes more time to narrow and get to the heart of it. But I really want to do that with this text for just a moment of time. So I want to try to set you in, if I can, the proper um, 
you know, the proper time sphere, if I can, of when this happened. And it's a little bit, uh, you know, it's, it's not necessarily, no, it's not clearly spelled out to us. It's recorded by the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who record these, this particular story. John does not record this incident. Um, it is presumed, you know, it, it is it, it, it mentions plainly here in the text that it was six, it was here it says eight days. Another uh, gospel writer said about six days, but it, uh, afterward, what was that afterward? Well, it was after that Jesus had taken his disciples to an area that was kind of northern Galilee, and it was in Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is an area where beautiful water, crystal pure waters come out of a spring that flows from Mount Hermon, which is the highest peak in Israel. And it was there somewhere in the vicinity of Caesarea Philippi that Jesus had asked his disciples that famous question, whom do men say that I am? And they answered, and then he said, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter made that profession of faith. He made that proclamation, divine revelation. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I think Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, says, Jesus said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So it's a very powerful statement that Peter made. And now six to eight days later have taken place, and Jesus moves his disciples, just the three. Perhaps he left the other nine down in the same place where they had encamped for those few days but they go to a high mountain. Originally, the, the church traditions tells us it was Mount Tabor, which is in southern Galilee. But Mount Tabor was a place where there was civilization and there was city. And, and, and it seems like in this moment, Jesus always went to an obscure place to pray, an isolated place. So many believe now it was actually Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon is actually the largest peak in ancient Israel. Shane and I have laid our own eyes on it, haven't we? We've seen it snow-capped in the early spring. We've seen it still snow-capped. It's the melting of the snow that produces the water that fills the spring. So Jesus probably did not alpine hike all the way to the, the summit of Mount Hermon. It might have taken all day, and it might have been bitter cold to have done so, but probably somewhere along the way that he stopped and he sought the Lord in prayer. And so he's accompanied by what we know as the three innermost uh, uh, companions, Peter, James, and John. And I love how this began in verse number 28. He goes up into the mountain to pray. And, and it was at verse 29. So the end of 28 says he went up there. That was his intent to pray. And then it says, as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered. Isn't it amazing what can happen in our lives when we set our heart to seek God? Right? Something can begin to take place inside of us. There's more in you than what you can really uh, fully uh, you know, fully uh, see exhibited in your life until it's released in prayer. Jesus finds himself in a familiar place of prayer, and as he's praying, the writer says his countenance was altered. Other translations, not other translations, but other gospel writers use the word transfigured. And look at the, the, the outer revelation here real quickly. His raiment is made white and glistering. Other writers said it was as white as the light, as white as snow. And so but I knew what I was preaching this morning. So yesterday, in the, about 3 o'clock, I went out into the field with nothing, nothing to obscure my vision of the sun. And I, I made sure that as I did so, that I took my sunglasses off 
so I could look for just a brief moment in the sun as it was coming down about 2 or 3 o'clock with nothing to obscure it, nothing to filter it. And just, you know, you, you couldn't look at it. It was just so radiant. It was so bright. I mean, just so quickly I had to hide my eyes from it. It was so white. The writer tells us that it was like the sun in its strength. It was so brilliantly white. It was so white that, the, the, that like a garment that you would take and have it bleached white. He said that there's no fuller, no launderer could even ever reach this. So it was something more. It was not natural. We're talking about something that was not natural. We're talking about something that was supernatural. The transfiguration simply means, and, and to contrast this, because we're going to talk a little bit about Moses here shortly, we know that Moses experienced the presence of God when he was on Mount Sinai to the degree that his face shared the Shekinah glory of God. He had to put a veil on his face because he still glowed with the presence of God. That was the eternal divine presence coming upon Moses, totally different than this scenario Transfigured means is that there was an inner divinity that was present all along. It was simply veiled by his flesh. But at this particular moment in the transfiguration, it wasn't that the heavens opened and a light shone upon him. It was that what was, was in him all along began to emit past his flesh and radiate from him. It's a powerful picture of the glory of God, isn't it? And so, and then the Bible tells us Moses and Elijah, and they speak with him of his death. I'll tell you a little bit more about what that means to us prophetically in its significance. Now, the disciples, having been asleep, it's amazing how the disciples can sleep and miss some really critical moments. Makes me feel a little bit better about myself at times now. So, because they're in the midst of this moment, Jesus is praying, and, and, and they waken from sleep only to discover that he's no longer alone. But these two men have appeared to him in glory. And there's no record of Jesus saying, Hey, Peter, James, and John, come over here. I want to introduce you to a couple of my guys, a couple of my buddies. I've been waiting to talk to these guys. You know, I've set up this moment here where we could come here. There's no record of Jesus making an introduction to them. There was something instinctive inside the three men, having never seen these men, only hearing about their testimony in the reading of the Torah since their childhood, that they knew, wait a minute, that one is Moses and the other is Elijah. Moses, the deliverer, he who God called to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And Elijah, the bold, provocative prophet who confronted Ahab and, and brought Israel into victory over uh, Jezebel and over the uh, worship of the pagan god Baal. So they, there was something. And so in the midst of that, as that conversation concludes between Jesus and the two men, they began to, the, those two men leave. I don't know how they leave, left. I don't know how they got there. I don't know whether they just uh, uh, stepped out back into glory. They disappeared in front of their eyes. But after they have left, Peter and John and James, along with Jesus, began the descent down the mountain. And as they are departing, Peter, who is often noted in Scripture of kind of speaking before he thinks, kind of does it again. But, but the Bible says he didn't know what to say. How many of you know that if you had been there, you might not have known what to say either? Because this moment has been so glorious to behold that he's just awkward. And they turn, he's, as they're walking, he's kind of just thinking out loud. And he says, Lord, it is so good for us to have been here, to have experienced. Matter of fact, they were the only people in human history to have seen Elijah and Moses in their glory. 
alongside of Jesus. He said, this is so powerful of a moment. It's like we were on Mount Sinai ourselves. And he said, so we, we feel like that we, I've talked to James and John, and we're going to do something. We're going to gather some sticks and some some uh, branches, and we're going to put together a tabernacle, almost like the booths that we see ancient Israel use in one of their feasts. We're going to erect small tabernacles here on the mountain to commemorate this moment so that whoever comes up on this mountain, there's going to be a landmark. Something's going to, it's going to be noted that there was a tabernacle from Moses, the church of Moses right here, and then the church of Elijah that we're going to celebrate Elijah and this call. And then he said, and then, Lord, we're going to do one for you as well because you know they knew Elijah and they knew Moses they knew who they were they knew what they had accomplished they knew how God had used them but they thought they knew Jesus they thought they knew him but how many of you know they didn't fully know him as of yet and so so as they're making this statement um, and Jesus doesn't say anything. He doesn't respond. He doesn't say, that's a good idea. He doesn't say, no, that's a bad idea. It's just as they take a few more steps, another divine moment occurs. And as this divine moment occurs, it's almost like a mist or a cloud has descended in the natural. And if you're up high enough on the mountain, sometimes you can get above the cloud line, and then you have to descend into the clouds before you can finally make it to the base of the mountain. But they began to notice that this was not an ordinary cloud. This was not a cloud that contained mist and cold and wet and rain. But this was a cloud that had hidden the presence of God, a cloud that had been seen in the tabernacle with Moses. It had been seen in the temple with Solomon. It was a, ta- it was a cloud that the presence of God had, had, had abode in for many years at, where the Shekinah, the glory of God. And so they knew it was divine, and suddenly they hear a voice a voice that perhaps has not been heard since that day, is that the divine voice begins to speak, and that voice says, this is, I want you to hear this, this is my beloved, it's in contrast to what he said. It's good for us to be here. We're going to build a tabernacle for Moses. We're going to build a tabernacle for Elijah, and we're going to build a tabernacle for you, Jesus. And God said, God said, I believe in Moses, and I believe in Elijah, but this is my beloved son, hear him. So in that moment of time, God created a distinction. The divine voice distinguished Jesus from Moses and Elijah. And that was a powerful experience that the writer says that they kept it to themselves. They didn't even go down amongst the other nine and say, you're not going to believe what took place with us when we were up on the mountain. But they kept it within themselves. But they were so moved by this experience that the aged Peter, the aged Peter the apostle, before he is actually going to die, before he can be killed perhaps by the crazed Roman emperor Nero, writes his last epistle. When he writes his last epistle, he brings us in to that moment. Perhaps for the first time. I don't know if, I'm sure he talked about it later, but let's put it on the screen now real quickly. I want you to see this. So remember now, perhaps 30 years have taken place from that moment, and Peter's writing about it. Remember, how many of you believe in a divine encounter? Right? Are you all out there today? I'm talking about a divine encounter of the supernatural presence of Almighty God, and then a divine revelation to follow. He said, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 17, let's read farther. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Verse 18, let's read a little farther. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Pause, don't show verse 19 just yet. So here the aged apostle that has preached for 30 years has preached in the power of a testimony of having received the Holy Spirit. But he also shares about this experience when he said that we were, he said this is not a cunningly devised fable. We didn't get together in a back room and decide how that we might deceive the nations with this false narrative about a man called Jesus. But he said we were actually eyewitnesses to the glory of God. We were on the mount the cloud descended. We heard the voice, the presence of God. He had been transfigured among us. He had stood there like any other man, common, dressed in the, uh, the, the attire of a Galilean. And suddenly the supernatural power of God had erupted from on the inside of him. And he's glistering, not just glistening, glistering in the power and the presence. He's emitting the life of God, the glory of God. It's not natural. It's not something that can be replicated. And I want you to know two things thousand years later with all of our sophisticated science and our ability to produce light and to emit things uh, through science let me tell you nothing can replicate the divine it's got to come from the divine and in that moment he said we were there we heard the voice we saw the glory it changed our lives and listen to this as he ages and as he knows it's not going to be long before he's going to suffer martyrdom he still is bold in his faith. And look what he said in verse number 19. And he said, as a result, he said, we got a more sure word of prophecy. You want a prophetic word? He said, I got you a prophetic word. I was in his presence. I beheld his glory. It was divine. It was holy. It changed my life. I'm willing to go to the martyr's uh, block. I'm willing to die because I have heard and seen and I've beheld his glory. And I got a word for you. And you better take heed to this word. How many of you know today we need to take heed of that word today until the day dawn and, and rises in the day star, rises in her heart. This moment, this divine encounter moved him. Right, a supernatural encounter with God. And you know what a supernatural encounter with God will do in your life? It'll move you. It will mark you. It will mark your family, your home, your children, all the days of your life. You'll be an entirely different person because of the power of a divine encounter. We need the power and the presence of God. You say, Pastor Brown, well, what is so significant about this divine encounter was because there was not only a divine encounter, but there was a divine revelation. Because I want you to know you need more than just a divine encounter. You need an unveiling of the divine purposes of God. So let me take you into that because that's where my heart's been. Are y'all out there today? Y'all are very, very quiet on this spring break Sunday morning today. But I want you to know God has an intent. He's... He's brought you here by his Holy Spirit for you to experience his presence and to gain this divine encounter, but not only a divine encounter, but a divine revelation. The presence of the two figures, you said, Pastor, you would mention those. What's so significant about that, Moses and Elijah, and the fact that they spoke with him about his death? The significance is this, is they both represent something that's very important to ancient Israel, the law and the prophets. Moses, the lawgiver, Elijah representing the prophets. All prophets were always judged in the shadow of Elijah. Elijah was 
It was known to the children of Israel as the most provocative of all the prophets confronting Ahab and Jezebel and Baal worship. So we have Moses the, and representing the law. We have Elijah representing the prophets. So we say the law and the prophets both talk about the death of Jesus. So it's a picture, the prophetic picture. And even to this day, you can go and search through the writings of Torah, Genesis through uh, uh, Deuteronomy, and then you could pick up the prophetic writings or the prophetic words of all the prophets, and you'll see a picture of Jesus. They spoke about his death. So that's why it's there, to, 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 add, to add their affirmation. The law and the prophets have foretold Jesus' death. Peter's desire to equate the presence of the two historical figures to that of the present messianic figure is altered by the cloud and the voice. See, the law and the prophets spoke of and revealed God's purpose to a degree. But in this moment, God himself said, you've got the law and you've got the prophets. And yes, they do foretell uh, and they predict my son's death. But he said, I want you to know, I want, there's a new voice in the earth today and you need to hear this voice. Hear him. Where are we going with that? God's voice did not just simply identify Jesus. He said, I want you to hear him. It affirmed him. I want you to ask this question. How has the invisible God chosen to reveal himself? Have you ever thought about this? How many of you know that God, you can't just simply see God with the natural eye? You can see him in his divine attributes, absolutely. I want to I take you somewhere in just a moment time because I believe that this moment has such significance to us that in this moment, God was choosing to reveal himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me say that in, in the backdrop of what I'm about to say here very quickly. Let's think about at least five different ways that God has chosen to reveal himself. That God, who is the invisible God, left himself a witness on the earth. How many believe it first starts with creation? Romans chapter number 1 says the invisible things of God are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, so that they, the unbelievers, are without excuse. Every man, woman, boy, and girl will have to stand before God one day, and they cannot. there will be no atheists on judgment day. Because on that day, God will say, I left you a witness. And so we can look at creation and we can say, man, there are times when creation reveals the serenity of the power and the glory of God. Every one of us have had a serene moment when we have stood at a very play, a sacred place to us in the natural realm. I got out this morning. I had to go move the cattle in the field for just a moment. And apart from the occasional car that was traversing along the highway, Highway 5 South, apart from that, it was so serene because it was so beautiful. And the grass is starting to green. The sun it was warming my body. I could hear the birds chirping. And so there was very, it was a very powerful and precious moment. And you can think to yourself, man, I've had some moments like that in the earth where the creation itself revealed to me the glory of God. But here's the problem with creation. Creation is erratic. Creation's been affected by sin, Shane, and it groans and travails. And there are times that you can stand on the seashore and you can have a, an experience where you say, man, it's so beautiful and the seagulls are singing and the waves are just rolling in and the sun is setting and you say, man, this has to be the hand of God. But that same sea can become turbulent and boisterous and a wind can blow and a wind can howl and you can hear the screams of a ship caught in it and the, and the seamen in the ship and it's not long before they, they perish and the very thing that you had experienced the glory of God in now that becomes this thing that, that it mars the image of God. So creation gives us a glimpse. Come on, but not a clear picture. 
So then we can go just a little bit farther. There was a covenant. God made a covenant with Israel. Yes, he revealed himself through that covenant. It was made first with Abraham, and then it was made with Israel. That covenant included the Torah, the law. And the law revealed a measure of who God was, his character, and his purposes in the earth. It did, but it was not complete. Let's go farther. Then there was his name. God chose to reveal himself through his name. I love to talk about the names of God. Jehovah to us. We sing about it in the song just a few moments ago. We call it the compound names of God. If you do any study on this yourself, you'll discover there are at least seven, many possibly up to 15 compound names of God. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is the Lord my peace. He is Jehovah Tiskanu. He is my righteousness. He is the Lord Jehovah Shammah. He is there. So on and on. So yes, God's revealed a measure of who he is through his name. And then we can also say, yes, God's revealed himself through signs and wonders. How many believe that? There are times God's just stretched his arm out and he's just stepped into the natural world to show, just like he did in ancient Israel with the Egyptians. When it was almost like it was the Egyptian deities versus the deity of Israel, and God showed that he was the one true God through mighty signs and wonders. So we know that as well. And then lastly, there was prophetic voices. The children of Israel experienced prophetic voices that told them about who God was and and, and how he uh, related to their covenant and related to them and his plans and his purposes for them. Yet with all this, think of this for just a moment. With all of this, creation, the patriarchal covenant, the signs and wonders, the compound names of God, and the prophetic revelation, but God's true and most perfect revelation was still veiled. Till. Hebrews chapter number one, let's read this together, if we will. God, I know you don't speak this way, but you should who at sundry times and in diverse manners, who at many times, God over the years, and many times and in many ways, different ways, spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Pause real quickly. There it is. God, the invisible God, at many times and in different ways, he spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Verse 2. Hath in these last days... Spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Verse 3. Listen to this. This is where the revelation, this is where the transition, Jace, goes from a divine encounter to a divine revelation. This is who that man was that was standing on the mountain talking to two men that perhaps Elijah had not died. Moses' bones were never found, so we don't really know what happened with him on Mount Nebo. And so we don't really know if they had been transfigured into the glory of God. But we know Jesus died on a tree, was buried, and was resurrected on the third day. But now we know more about him. We know more about who this man that was speaking to the three disciples on that day Here's who he was, and you've got to catch this today because it will alter everything about your communion with God, the invisible God. It is this. He was the brightness of his glory. Whose glory? The glory of the omnipotent God. 
the glory of the God that revealed himself first to ancient Israel as El Shaddai, God Almighty. The, the glory of the God that then shared his compound name with them, Jehovah Shalom. But that God said, I'm going to send forth my greatest expression of who I am. And it's not going to be in the Torah, and it's not going to be in the prophetic voices of long ago, and it's not going to be in creation, and it's not going to be in signs and wonders, but I'm going to speak in these last days by my Son. Why? Because He's the brightness of my glory. He's the brightness of my glory, and He's the express image of my person. So the invisible God that had chosen to remain veiled in the heavens has suddenly decided to, to, to tabernacle among us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that closely and read it with me. It's the brightness of His glory, and He's the express image of His person. That's who Jesus is. He is the re revealed Son of the living God. So let's see if we can kind of tie this together and make this very personal to you if I can today for just a moment. So you've got, how many of you know you've got the doctrine now? You've got the experience on the mountain, the encounter with the, two, the three men with Jesus and the transfiguration. But now we see that there was more to that moment. There was more. It was a divine revelation of who Jesus was. So I want you to think with me for just a second. God's presence and his glory as a result of the sin of Adam have become hidden entirely to the world. But it was veiled. It was seen just in glimpses to the house of ancient Israel. And as a result, mankind as a whole, as a, a, because they were easily influenced by satanic uh, temptation, quickly fell prey to idolatrous practices. And people began to form and fashion a God. There was something instinctive in the heart of every person to worship. How many you know that still exists today? As long as men are born of women, let me tell you, there's going to be something instinctive inside of them to worship. They just don't know where to find that place of fulfillment, correct? But there's something there. The creation needs to acknowledge and recognize the creator. And so mankind, for so many years, they wanted a God that they could see, they could touch, they could feel, and they could hear. Yet tragically, tragically, when God had come down on the mountain that we call Sinai, and gave ancient Israel an opportunity to see his glory and to hear his voice, they shrank away in fear and said, Moses, you go and talk to God because we're afraid of his presence. But now, but now in the moment that we're reading about in this text, the writer of Hebrews says, in times past, God chose to speak to me in that way because ancient Israel said, you be our mouthpiece, Moses. You be the prophetic voice. You go talk to God. You be in his presence. You come out of his presence and you speak to us. You be the prophetic voice. But the writer of Hebrews says, God chose to do that for many hundreds of years, but now we're in a new generation. And in this new generation, God himself said, I'm going to talk to you face to face. I'm going to talk to you through the person of my son, who is the express image of my person. He is the exact likeness of my glory. If you have seen the son, you have seen the father. Let me tell you a little bit about Jesus for just a moment. There was a moment, I didn't give them this text, when Jesus' own disciples, after three years, after three years, they had been walking with him, they saw his miracles, and Jesus said this statement to them. It's in Matthew, or excuse me, John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse number 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, why did he make that statement? He made that statement because the temple, the entrance into the temple was called the way, 
past the veil was called the truth, and in, past the truth was the life. And so in the mounds of ancient Israel, to get to God, you had to go through the temple sacrifices, you had to go through the veil, you had to go past the veil into the holy place, the way, the truth, and the life. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If anybody's going to know the Father, he's going to have to come through me. And when Jesus made that statement, his own disciples said, Lord, if you will show us the Father, we will be so satisfied. And in a moment of semi-reproof, Jesus looked. It was Philip that made that statement. And Jesus said to Philip, he said, Philip, how have I been with you so long, and yet you haven't known me? Because if you have seen me, are y'all out there today, church family? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He said, because I and my Father are one. And I want you to know today that God chose to supersede creation, supersede signs and wonders to reveal His glory, to go beyond the covenant that He made with ancient Israel, to go even beyond His compound names. But God has chosen to reveal His glory in the person of Jesus Christ. And so today, if you came to this house, the one thing I want to drop in your spirit here as I'm going to begin to hasten towards closing, here's one thing I know. I don't know a lot, but here's one thing I know. God the Father is revealed in God the Son. And if I want to know the Father, I just have to look to the Son. He was the Word made flesh. He was the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. And if I want to know him, feel him, touch him, and be touched by him, then I look to the Son. I don't look to any other way, area, capacity whatsoever. I look entirely to the Son. I look to Jesus. Can you say that with me? I'm going to look to Jesus. Without hesitation, you and I can say the law and the prophets spoke of God's divine Godhead, his nature, his character, his love, his purpose. But when the clearest and the, and the, and the cleanest revelation of who God is, it would come through His Son. It would come through His Son. And how many of you know we need to hear Him? Can I give you an example of that as I'm hastening towards closing real quickly? Sometimes we often think that the picture of the image of God in the Old Testament and the picture of the image of God in the New Testament are different. But they're not. It's just a different dispensation. We have greater clarity. Some think it's contradictory. It's actually not contradictory. It's actually complementary. The old foreshadows the new. The old reveals the new. And then once we receive the new, we look back and we can see the old in an entirely different light. Are y'all out there today? And so let me tell you for just a moment real quickly about even when there were times when we thought the old revelation of God that conflicted with the new revelation of God. And it wasn't a conflict. It was there all along. It's just it took the brightness of his glory to reveal it. So we know the Torah revealed the knowledge of God, didn't it? But the Torah was also very strict in the holiness of God and how we approach God. And also our lives and our lifestyle and, and, and being accountable to God. Now, nothing has changed, but let me tell you, God is now writing his law not on tablets of stone, but he writes it on the fleshly tablet of your heart. So there came a moment when it seems contradictory, but it's actually complementary if you'll understand this very quickly. And that is, it was in John chapter number 8 when they, the accusers of Jesus took a woman from adultery. Everybody remembers that story. It's one of the most famous or infamous stories in all the Word of God. She was caught in the very act of adultery. And how many of you know the top 10 of the 613 laws of what we call the Mosaic Law, the top 10, the one that were written on stone, says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's. Wife. So we say, thou shalt not commit 
adultery, right? And so we know that the penalty for adultery, if you were with us Wednesday night, was death, particularly most of the time by stoning. That person or persons would be cut off from the people of Israel. So they brought a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery, in the very act of adultery, and they cast her at the feet of Jesus, broken, wounded, and shamed. They stood there with stones in their hand, and they're hoping. They don't care anything about the woman. Religious people don't really care about people being set free, right? They just want to bring people into their own bondage that they themselves are deceived by. And so they brought the woman, and they cast her at the feet of Jesus, and he said, it says in the covenant that reveals to us about who God is, it says in the covenant that she's supposed to be stoned, but what do you say? Now, let's go back to the mount for just a moment. On the mount, we had Elijah, and we had Moses, and we had the Torah. But Jesus, as he were coming down the mountain, the voice said, this is my beloved son. Hear who what? Hear what? Hear him. So in that moment, Jesus didn't take away from what God said. His holiness standard must be met. But in that moment of time, Jesus, you know the story. He stooped down in the dirt, and he rode on the ground, and then he lifted up his eyes and he looked at his accusers, the accusers or the accusers of the woman, and he said this, he that is without sin among you, then you can cast the very first stone at her. And then the power of conviction began to get in their hearts. I mean, you've got to hear him. Are y'all out there today? You've got to hear him. And stones began to fall, but not in a violent, uh, uh, you know, uh, condemning way upon the woman, but at the feet of the accusers. And one by one, from the eldest to the least, they began to leave until it was only Jesus and the woman left with her. And this is where the revelation of God, it was there all along because the Bible said, remember what Jesus said? He said, woman, where are thine accusers? Has no one condemned thee? And she said, no man. He said, neither do I condemn thee, but go and sin no more. I'm thankful that we can hear him today, right? Can't you hear him today? I can hear him in my spirit. You say, Pastor, well, how is that complimentary? It's always complimentary because under the law, it said plainly that mercy will triumph over judgment. Are y'all out there today? Thank God for Jesus today, aren't you? I'm thankful for him and who he is. So as I close today, let me just tell you a little bit. Here I have an objective. I have an objective as your pastor and your friend. I cannot make a list of the divine attributes that are seen clearly in the sun. Because if I gave you a list, if I said I'm about to close and then I rolled out a list of the divine attributes that are seen clearly in the person of Jesus Christ, we would be here for many days to come. Are y'all out there? But I have an objective is this. I want you to have two things. I want you to have a divine encounter. You've got to see Jesus. Are y'all hearing me today? I pray that you are. You've got to see him. Everybody has the ability to close your eyes and to ponder. I say it so often in the theater of your mind and to see Jesus. But I want, you to, I want you to have more than a divine encounter with him. I want you to hear him. I want you to hear the voice of God speaking to you through the person of Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, I want to know God, both the knowledge and experience and I want, to, I want to experience his love and his mercy, then look to Jesus. Did y'all hear that today? Say, Pastor, I want to hear the voice of God, then you need to hear him. Say, Pastor Brown, would you help me to see God today, then look to Jesus. Pastor Brown, I want to touch him and feel him. I want to hold to him. And like Mary of old, I want to cling to him. I want to cling to God, then get a hold of Jesus and never let go. 
You say, Pastor, my heart is heavy. I've got the guilt and the shame of sin. Then come to Jesus. He'll give you rest. Your heart is wounded with pain, sorrow, and suffering. How many know it is tough to live on planet Earth? People get wounded and hurt. People have lost loved ones. They've experienced divorce. They experienced someone that, 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 that turned on them, and their heart is hurting. And you often ask, why God? Why God? I know you have because I have at times. And I've said, why God? Why? Only to then arrive at this conclusion. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, Take my yoke upon you, and I will give you rest. You feel orphaned, abandoned, displaced in this world? You have no family, no heritage, no hope. Come to Jesus. He will bring you to the Father's house, and he will introduce you to his Father, and he will reveal his Father to you. You say, Pastor, what if I'm asked by an atheist or an agnostic. And that atheist or that agnostic says, you show me God. Here's your response. Look to Jesus. Because if you can see him, you'll see the Father. Are y'all out there today? Our worship team is coming. We're going to worship. I'm going to close this message. When death's icy grip is taken, I wrote it this way, it's taken hold of a loved one, family, or friend. Look to Jesus. He's the resurrection and he's the life. See, on that mountaintop long ago, this divine encounter became a divine revelation. The son revealed the father and the father affirmed the son. These words were spoken many long years ago, but they're still echoing in the heart and in my heart and your heart today, the heart of believers. This is the words of God about this man, Christ. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know why I believe God was well pleased with Jesus, Jace? Because he represented him so perfectly. He represented all that he ever wanted to say and do and all that God ever wanted to be to his creation. He now could be that because of the man Christ Jesus. There's a song, Shane, that we often sing. It's called Come to the Altar. I was Listening to it this morning, it says, Jesus is calling. That word is still there. He's calling. He's calling. He's calling. If you have the Son today, you have the Father. If you know the Son, you know the Father. If you love the Son, you love the Father. If you have seen the Son, you have seen the Father. I'm going to put a text up here in closing this message, and you're going to walk it down with me as we prepare to worship, and then I'm going to give this invitation as clearly and as concisely as I can. Let me say this to you today about God, the invisible God who has chosen to reveal himself. Everything about Jesus reveals the Father. Y'all hear that? Everything. Moses didn't know of the Father heart of God, but Christ did, and he shared that with us. We get to know him. I don't know if it was Pastor Andre or someone recently that said, you can tell when someone, their language, you know, whether they really know God or not, because it's the, how we, we, we like, like Peter, remember how the Galileans, how they, when, when he was uh, around the fire that Shane mentioned, the, when he had, uh, you know, denied the Lord a couple times, uh, some of them said, your speech betrays you. How many know your speech will betray you? 
And people will be like, oh, man, the good man upstairs or the big guy upstairs. If God is simply the big guy upstairs to you, then you don't know him. I tell you, you don't know him. Because if you'll know him through the son, then you'll know him as father today. You'll know him because his spirit will come into your heart. And the first work of his spirit inside your heart will be Abba, Father. You'll know him as the father. And that's the purpose of the son. The purpose of the son was to reveal the father. A divine encounter is necessary, but a divine revelation is equally as important. I don't want you to just have that moment where you're moved and you have the power and the presence of God, but I want you to have your eyes open so that from henceforward, you'll be able to worship God in spirit and in truth through the communion that you have with the Son, that you know Him and commune with Him. And so there were two of the three men gave us, I believe, a little bit of their experience. We're going back to the mount and closing this off. I don't know how long I preached. I don't think it's too long. It's about time to wrap up. But I want to tie this together for just a moment. So we, we already read where the aged apostle Peter is writing about the experience. Y'all remember that. Early in the message, we read 2 Peter 1. Peter was on the mountain. But John was on the mountain as well. Now, John doesn't tell us in his epistle that this is direct result of that encounter, but I think if you look at it through that lens, you might say, yeah, yeah, I can see that. So let's see what John had to say real quickly. That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Remember what Peter said? This is not a cunningly devised fable. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. John said, I saw him, Shane. I saw him with my own eyes. I looked upon him. I held him with my own hands. Let's read it further. The life was manifested, and we have seen it. And I'm telling you, if you can see it too, please hear me today. You can see it too. The life was manifested and we've seen it and we bear witness and we show you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us for our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Why don't you all stand up with me today? Right there, we'll pause on that text, that verse right there. Everything about Jesus reveals God the Father. His life, his miracles, his teachings, his wonderful healings, his casting out of devils, the forgiveness of sin, prayer, his love for his Father's house, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his eternal life, his eternal priesthood. He ever lives to make intercession for you and I. I want to encourage you today, look to Jesus. When you read, look to Jesus. When you meditate, look to Jesus. When you pray, pray to the Father through the person of Jesus Christ. When you're pondering on the person of God, maybe you are up on that mountaintop and you're looking down at the, uh, a valley and, it, and it's very peaceful and serene. I want, you to not, I want you to see beyond creation and I want you to see the one that spoke the creation into existence. I want you to see Jesus. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed. A divine encounter and a divine revelation. I asked the worship team to come on the platform with us because I just felt a compelling in my heart, my spirit today. I want to know Christ. I'll just, church family, sometimes, sometimes you're just at a loss for saying, what do I do? I mean, there's sermon after sermon. There's 
following after pastor or preachers or teachers. What do I do? The only thing I can give you today, I can give you is a divine revelation of Jesus. A divine, I've had mine, maybe it wasn't the same as Peter and James and John in the mountain, but I can tell you in the ability that I have to commune with God, I have had a divine encounter with God through the person of Jesus Christ. And God then gave me a revelation that when I've seen the Son, I've seen the Father. For the Father is in the Son. Our heads bowed and eyes closed. I want you to think with me for a moment. I want you to pray. I want you to ask. Have you ever just said that and said, God, show, show yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. He revealed himself in the person of the Son. You may remember as you're praying right now, as I'm giving you these final words, the Lord's put in my spirit. You remember the Ten Commandments. God said, don't make a graven image. No painting, no picture, no sculpture, nothing. Because no man hath seen God at any time. So there's nothing in the heart and mind of any human person that could actually paint a picture or a, a paint, produce a painting or artist produce a drawing or a sculpture produce uh, or, or, or a, to be a, a sculpture made or crafted by the hands of men that would give us the, the likeness of God. There's nothing until he stood on that mountain that day and the express image of the person of God was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And so you and I don't have an image of who God is and what he looks like. We don't know anything about him, but every one of us can close our eyes and we can see Jesus. Are you out there today? I, I can. Maybe you see him in his suffering. Maybe you see him in his humanity. Maybe you see him doing miracles. Maybe you see him walking across the Galilean Sea in the night coming to his disciples. Maybe you see him opening blind eyes or unstopping deaf ears. Or maybe you see him sitting in Peter's boat teaching the people. Or maybe you see him in your heart and your mind and the image that you have because of the record of the evangelist, you see him bowed over with a heavy beam across his shoulder. The Via Della Rosa lies in front of him. A cobblestone path through the ancient city of Jerusalem that would lead him outside the city gate to a hillside called Golgotha, a mount that you and I know as Calvary. And there between two thieves, the Son of Man would be lifted high, a crown of thorns plattered upon his brow. Seven fountains of blood flow freely that day as the eternal Son of God gives his life for you and I. Yes, you can see him. I know you can because I can see him right now. With my eyes closed and my ears stopped up, I can still hear him and see him today. And as I see him, I see the Father. I see the Father's love for me. I see the fact that God was unwilling for me to spend eternity in a devil's hell. And so he sent his only son to pay the price or the penalty for my sin. I can see him. Can you see him today? Do you have that revelation of who God is? He's revealed himself in the person of his son. Would y'all sing with the worship team for a moment, and then I'm going to come back. I want you to sing. Worship team is singing. You're, you're worshiping. I feel this moment right now. I'm not going to hasten out of here. I'm going to give a 
few moments. Let's just sing with them for just a moment. Let's turn this into a moment of worship. Then I'll give an invitation to you today.